welcome to The Breadwinners. I'm Jennifer Owens. I'm Rachel Ellison. So this is a show where we talk about work and family and the cool offices where you can build a very special nursery for your new baby. Because you had that when your kids were young, right? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Uh, Today we're going to talk about a working mom who did just that and how it impacted everyone who worked with her. But before we do, let's talk about all things breadwinners. Raquel, where can people find us? Can find us at uh, the <laughs> <laughs> fun place. Where are you finding me? Right here. <laughs> you can buy. I was ready. Hold on. <laughs> I always do the merch. <laughs> See, this is how I keep you on your toes. <laughs> you always do the merch. At Breadwinners Pod. That's right. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You know, we, we hear from you guys and it's super fun and we appreciate it. And so, you know, you can support us too by sharing us with your favorite breadwinners and you can do it on the socials. You can do it on the show. Honestly, that's the best way to help our podcast grow. Don't you think? I do think. I do think. Friends recommending. Friends listening. <laughs> friends being Friends. Thank you for being a friend. (laughs) Uh, How's your bread winning this week? Oh, you know, all the bread, multiple different kinds of bread. There's gluten-free bread. There's lots of different kinds of bread. Uh, And are you winning? Um, (laughs) I am not winning. Oh, my God. I don't know if I'm winning this week. No, I don't think so. I I was a bit snappish this week, a little overwhelmed this week. Winning the bread was a stressful thing but i'm i'm recalibrating and getting my i'm gonna win this week though nice okay i love it i love it all right we're gonna make it happen what we're also gonna make happen is we're gonna take a moment for our sponsors right now and then we're gonna get back and talk about um how you too can build a fancy baby nursery right next to your office This episode has been brought to you by Podcash as a collaboration between Racket and Stir. Podcash is a program offering free cash for your podcast. This year, Podcash has given away $100,000 to independent podcasters like the Breadwinners as a way to support creative and inspiring new content. We're always excited to win bread, so we were thrilled when the Breadwinners was chosen to receive one of the first podcast sponsorships. So if podcasting has been on your to-do list, or you're already a podcaster, go to podcast.com to stay up to date with future podcast happenings, including the next round of podcast sponsorships. That's podcast.com, P-O-D-C-A-S-H.com. And remember, keep hustling. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And we're back. So this week, are you ready for the Wayback Machine? Yes, let's do it. I'm going to take us all the way back to 2013. Do you remember what you were doing in 2013? I was raising a one-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh, man. I had a 10-year-old and a seven-year-old? I guess. Wow. What a weird year, the 2013, for me. Like, it's kind of that middle stretch of parenting, you know, like not the Mm -hmm. tiny baby. So you had the little one at that point. Okay. Then you're going to do really well because you were paying attention to things outside of your home a lot, I'm sure, at that moment. (laughs) This is for you. Pop quiz. What were the top songs of 2013? I had so many pop quizzes with you, J.O. I know. (laughs) And I'll already, spoiler alert, couldn't name a one. Yeah, no, I got nothing. Okay, here we go. Uh, This is according to Wikipedia, so... If, you know, there's another list somewhere, whatever. Thrift Shop by Macklemore. Uh-huh. Okay. Already didn't know I had to, had to watch it because I was like, what? Blurred Lines with Robin Thicke, T.I. and Pharrell Williams. I remember that one because that one made the news for being like, you know, like too risque or whatever. Mm-hmm. Radioactive. I'm not going to do them all, of course, but Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. That one I do remember because that was really big in the elementary school, like everywhere I went. Uh-huh. Harlem Shake by Bauer. And Macklemore comes back again for Can't Hold Us. Oh, but, okay. That one I remember. Do you remember any of, it, any of those songs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so this this is how, this is how we're you know we're jamming. We're having a great time. Mm-hmm. We have small children in our lives, and it's 2013. And I'm minding my own business. I'm editorial director at Working Mother Media at that point, and I'm talking to more and more companies about how to explain flexible work and take pride in their increasing numbers of people using their programs. And this headline crosses my desk. And it says, I'm going to send it to you. Wait a minute. My tech is causing problems. Here it comes. Yahoo CEO Mayor now requiring remote employees to not be remote. And I don't know why remote's in parens, but there you go. Yeah, it is. So here comes the art. This was the big scoop. And this was... Big tech reporter, Kara Swisher, coming up with scoops. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Doing 8 million tech things. I've lost my remote, my Bluetooth mouse, and it's driving me crazy, people. Okay, this is what the the scoop said. I just sent it to you. According to numerous sources, Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer has instituted an HR plan today to require Yahoo employees who work remotely to relocate to company facilities. The move will apparently impact several hundred employees who must either comply with exception or without exception, presumably quit. It impacts workers such as customer service reps who perhaps work from home or an office in another city where Yahoo does not have one. 
Many such staffers who wrote me today are angry because they felt they were initially hired with the assumption that they could work more flexibly. Not so, as it turns out. A Yahoo spokesperson said the company does not comment on internal matters. So do you remember this? Yeah, sure. And do you remember the impact when this rippled, this this exploded out? Because, you know, I love the, oh, we're not going to comment on internal matters. And then yeah, all right? of a sudden it was everywhere. I mean, I, and, and beyond like, you know, in, in you're in the world, like you and I were in the, you know, deep in the world of like the work-life stuff where we all talk about stuff or we're whatever. No, this was everywhere. Yeah. It made my stomach drop when I saw that. Because my immediate concern was, here comes this woman, and it's it's a woman doing it as a CEO. She's a working mom, and it's big tech, even though Yahoo's always struggling by this point. But it was like, oh, no. Right. So now we're going to talk about why this was so, it, you know, it wasn't just some random dude doing this. It was important who was doing this because this is who Marissa Mayer was at the time and why it mattered. So according to, you know, lovely Wikipedia, thank you all my sources. I have more sources than Wikipedia today, I <laughs> swear to God. And they're all in the show notes. So she was, uh, she is a supremely bright woman. She had graduated from Stanford with 14 job offers in hand. Wow. So, and I mean, she obviously did not plan on a newspaper career. So <laughs> I had one job offer and I took it. So um, she uses Google and she becomes in 1999, employee number 20. Can you even imagine? Wow. So she, uh, she writes code and she works on developing and designing Google search offerings and uh, she, you know, starts to move up the ranks as the ranks are literally built around her. And she's the director of consumer web products. And she oversees the the unadorned homepage. She's mm -hmm. part of that, which, you know, is still the way they do it today. She was also on the three-person team responsible for Google AdWords, which is you know, that's what fuels their business. That's um, how companies promote themselves or anyone promotes yourself through buying and bidding for keywords. That's where your money goes. If you're, when they talk about the duopoly, it's Google AdWords is half of it. So uh -huh. by 2010, she was a VP and she was asked by then CEO Eric Schmidt to head the local maps and location services. And she, in 2011, she secured Google's acquisition of Zagat for $125 million. And meanwhile, she was also teaching introductory computer programming at Stanford and mentoring students at the East Palo Alto Char Charter School. So, wow. she, you know, yeah, she's very impressive. So when she's recruited in 2012 to serve as CEO of Yahoo, there were very high expectations because, you know, look at this. She's She's a success at no matter what she touches. And Yahoo is, okay, this is very rude. If my, uh, if half of my grandparents are listening or my parents are listening, the family grandparents, my dad was still using Yahoo. <laughs> like, uh -huh. That's not cutting edge, man. So when Yahoo announced her hiring, she also revealed that she was pregnant. 
and she gave birth to a baby boy on September 30th, 2012. And so she basically starts and then she makes a big deal about taking a two week maternity leave. And that's why the dates are so important because here, you know, like all this stuff is coming. So it just, the spotlight is huge on her. And she's like, oh my God, you know, like I I can do it all. I was a little concerned as, you know, like and people, I would get interviewed and asked about it because, you know, we always have to like, you know, ask, how is she going to do it? How could she be a mom and be an executive at the same time? It's always my, my pat answer. And I firmly believe this, that is her choice. If this is right for her family and her career and whatever, then that's her choice. Right. Uh, just as long as she's not imposing that choice on everyone else and sure. saying that, because if I did two weeks, you could do two weeks. So but, you know, a new working mom is now ranked as one of the most powerful women in business. You know, bring it on. She built, and so part of things, she's like, well, I'm going to build this nursery right next to my office. And she paid for it on her own, supposedly. Honestly, don't know how you do that in facilities stuff as we've all worked in large offices, but whatever, that's what they said. And then, uh, you know, kind of held my breath to see how this goes because she became the proto working mom CEO. And then this memo came and I'm sending it to you. To become the absolute best place to work, communication and collaboration will be important. So we need to be working side by side. That's why it's critical that we are all present in our offices. Some of the best decisions and insights come from hallway and cafeteria discussions, meeting new people and impromptu team meetings. Speed and quality are often sacrificed when we work from home. We need to be one Yahoo, and that starts with physically being together. So according to the reporting at the time, the change impacted not only those like working full-time remote, but anyone working flexibly one or two days a week. So yeah, what do you think? What does this memo, if this memo crosses your desk, what do you think? What do I think? At what point? I don't know. I mean, what's your first reaction to seeing um, the Yahoo is a together place and all that (laughs) kind of stuff? Speed and quality. Speed and quality. My stomach turns over. It's just. Right? Yeah. And it's such a cudgel, right? It's like everybody in. It's not even. I I don't know. Is it? Man. I mean, I'm not against working in an office. I live with someone who prefers it, but I knew the moment that this hit the wires that others would use it as cover to retreat on flexible work policies. And immediately Meg Whitman, who was leading H- HP at the time, did yeah. the same thing. Right. I don't know. Did you start to hear? I feel like you and I were talking about this all the time at this point, like that this was happening, that people, yeah. knew, because literally she is a working mom. She's leading a tech company, you know, and especially at the time. And still we have this love affair of that tech could do no wrong. You know, they were the leaders. They set these cool policies. They're going to break things and do it right. And I knew that it was, people were going to point to it and say, well, she did it. Why do we have to do it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it happened. And uh, that was disheartening to say the least. I, I'm going to have the fun of quoting myself because I I would get calls all the time by the media at the time. And I'd say my take on this was um, this decision comes from fear. It's fear that if I can't see you, I don't know what you're working on. It's a distrust of your own workforce. And I still mm-hmm. abide by that. So, oh, my other favorite quote, and I still uh, <laughs> still love it. 
Oh my God. I'm so full of myself right now. By taking away employees' ability to decide how and when they work, Yahoo has effectively shot itself in the foot as it limps into the future. I was mad, man. (laughs) Yeah, you were mad. I was mad. So I wonder now, as we go into the moment we're in right now, do you think that that fear is still here? You're more on the front lines of that these days. You hear some companies, you know, rushing to go back to work. You see a lot of tech saying no, you know, like if that flexibility will remain or still, I don't know. What Do you have a sense of the temperature of what the remote support for remote work is at this moment? Oh, interesting. I don't think there's one temperature. I think really? we live in, in a multi, you know, we live yeah. in a lot of different ecosystems of climate. (laughs) No, I think, um, you know, the Airbnb, did you see the Airbnb article that came out this week? So he's saying they're never, what did he, no. So actually, so tell me. Yeah. He's saying the office is done. The office is an antiquated idea. Interesting. Yeah. I want to find his exact quote, but you know, because also um, parallel to this has been the incredible, the viral nature of the open office, which is the worst office, right? Mm-hmm. Like, no, I always ca- I call it visual privacy. Like, I don't want to be looking in other people's faces all the time, let right. alone like audio privacy that, you know, you want to make a quick call and I don't want to have to get up and move to, and I move to a calling booth so I can, you know, my, cause the, my kid's doctor is calling or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it's like, you have that, you have like the worst of all offices with push in some places to come back. I don't know. So he, he's, he's saying, Oh, it's, it's an, I, I like, and yet it's right for some people and it's right for some businesses and, and certainly some roles that can only happen on site, you know? So well, I, yeah. Right. No, it's, it's, it's really, really tricky. He said in an interview for times leadership brief. So time magazine, he said that he believed this is um, Brian Chesky, Airbnb CEO said that he believed the office was an anachronistic form that was from a pre-digital age. That's how he put it. I think he's right. I agree. Yeah, it's, you know, but I'm I'm working in a place where, you know, without going into too much detail, it's a, it's a, well, I work in higher ed, right? It's a residential yeah. campus. Right. So people need to actually physically be on campus and that's it. But to what extent and how often and what makes a lively, vibrant campus community, right? And how much autonomy can you have as an individual to decide what it is? What's your autonomy in deciding what makes it vibrant as opposed to the institution, which also has a role in deciding what makes it vibrant? What's the individual's role in deciding what makes it vibrant? Yeah. Like basically what I'm saying is like, if you decide that uh, you want to be in the office on Tuesday and Wednesday this week, next week, no, the following week, I'm going to be in every day. Like that kind of autonomy to decide when and where you work. But it, how disruptive is that to the institution trying to, you know, and the response? Well, it depends, yeah. right? In my particular job, it shouldn't matter that much because I'm literally sitting in an office building 
I'm not interfacing with students or faculty. Well, that's not true, but not with students. Right. So it doesn't matter for me, but, you know, folks who are interfacing with faculty on a regular basis, who want more autonomy and coming, you know, around when they come in. Yeah. It's a big, you know, pushing and shoving match right now. Right. And And, you know, something that I would always talk about with, like, with shift work, when you need to be on the line, you need to be in the hospital, you need to be, you know, it's just remote work is not a thing. There are things where the group can decide when they're in and when they're out and how they're backing each other up and deciding and taking care of each other to offer flexibility to other people. Like, it's not... As you know, we always say, flexible work doesn't mean at home all the time, never coming in. That's not the only form of flexible work. There's all kinds. There's time shifting, shifting your your schedule. There's, you know, infrequent flexible work. There's I work from home every Friday. There, you know, mm-hmm. it's there's all kinds of different things, and I think that's what. So my, my experience with this, you know, a company basically getting rid of flexible work. It it happened a couple times when I was at Working Mother. And, you know, yeah, we cared in general, but also we we were doing something which we're going to talk about in, in a future episode. We were assessing companies and doing a list every year called the Working Mother Best Companies. And mm-hmm. we were assessing them on a number of things. And one of them was flexible work. Who has access? How are they using it? What do your policies say? And the like. And we had one. And I will, you know, this was this is all part of the public record. I but Eli Lilly had just been named to the Working Mother Hall of Fame, which was you've made it onto the best companies list 15 times, which mm-hmm. is no easy feat. And they killed flexible work like right after we announced the list. Oh, really? So that was delicious for certain nice. reporters. And um, I remember calling them up and saying, hey, 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 because a little embarrassing that we just, you know, and to our credit, it's based on the previous years. You know, we can't, I can't, we don't move that fast. But it was driven in part, the way I heard it was at the time, and this is going on, you know, like 15 years ago, they were, a lot of their patents were starting to age out. And so there was this, it was fear of like, you know, we all need to be on hand. I need you all to be taking this seriously. And how I know you're taking it seriously is that the parking lot is full. And so to not see the parking lot full, like even on a Friday or, you know, whatever, made the CEO nervous and made the CEO, you know, feel like you guys don't take this seriously or whatever. And, you know, the other one who did that, Bank of America. And Mm -hmm. Bank of America put out a thing very similar to this, as I remember it, basically saying, uh, but gave them a certain time chunk, like, hey, like in six months, y'all need to be back. And which was incredibly disrupting to like what the articles were noting right from the beginning here, that when you've had a long flexible work program and people have have moved to cities where there isn't an office, Mm -hmm. you're basically firing them unless they love it so much they're going to pull up and move to whatever community you have your offices in. Right. You know, meanwhile, but to her credit, Yahoo was always tanking. You know, I mean, it, I'm totally, totally calling out my late father. My dad used Yahoo. <laughs> right. So, you know, 
that was his homepage. I mean, there you go. Um, I don't think my kids even know what Yahoo is, you know? So, and yeah. so, yeah. So I think, you know, it just got a lot of attention. And so, so back to, back to my story. So what happens? So, you know, as I say, I like Yahoo was in its like 400th year of struggling to turn itself around. And, mm-hmm. and some people, you know, that everybody's an expert when, you know, when they don't work at these companies, you know, but they were opining that this was a way to usher people out the door without firing them and cut costs, which is, you know, certainly something you do when your company is struggling. So eight months later, Yahoo would claim that all was well with their policy change, Uh you know, and that, oh no, everything was fine, every, whatever. So meanwhile, Marissa Mayer, so she was there for a number of years, five years. She kept drawing fire and activist shareholders were mad that she couldn't turn Yahoo's core advertising business around. This now we now we turn into the business podcast. They owned a share, a big stake in another com- company called Alibaba, and that was just generating all kinds of money for them. And it was papering, not papering over, but that was what was where all the revenue for Yahoo was coming as its core advertising business was coming was declining and declining, and declining. So she sold the company to Verizon and resigned. She got twenty three million dollars as a payout. Wow. She, in her five years as CEO, she oversaw large losses in ad revenue and a 50% reduction in staff. Today, hmm. she runs Sunshine Contacts, which is focused on artificial intelligence and consumer media. Sunshine Contacts, Contacts claims to improve users' iPhone contacts and Google contacts using intelligent algorithms, contact data, public sources, and more. So um, <laughs> I have no idea what that is, but much yeah. like a million years ago when I remember reading an article in the New Yorker about Google's, it had just launched like the year before. And it was like, why do we need some sort of new search engine? You know, Ask Jeeves is fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like Netscape is okay. I Maybe it's some genius. She's obviously super smart. So, you know, she sees something that we don't know that we need yet. So... This is a side, totally a uh, side note. A million years ago, my former boss, Prime Media, took over what, TiVo, and no one could explain what TiVo was. Right? Do you remember? Right, like, right. And it just never. And it's basically, you know, a, a cloud DVR. Which now I think, why didn't you just say that? You know, like. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but in any case, they never could. And then now I'm like so happy that I have it through Hulu, that, and I think of that often. Of like that was a service that they couldn't really explain to you why you needed it, but you really did want it. You just didn't know you wanted it yet. But in any case, so then as for remote work, she did not kill it. I don't know if you know this, but in March 2020. of the labor market became full-time remote overnight and the economy kept going. I know this is a surprise to you. Shocking. (laughs) Shocking. Oh, and why the Marissa Mayer story still resonates for me a lot. A, it was just a moment in time for me, but also that was in response to that in also in 2012, I launched National Flex Day to celebrate the power of flexible work and to mm-hmm. make our lives work. 
And this year will be the 10th anniversary of National Flex Day. So to our listeners, mark your calendars. It's very done on a shoestring. We have a bunch of partners and fans of the breadwinners that support it. And we've had many of those folks, Flex Jobs, the, let's see, who else have we had on? Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm like pulling names out of hat. But a lot of the people, the the big players in the the work life and fighting for these policies, especially now as we transition from 42% of the workforce being full-time remote, whether they want it or not, into what does life look like now? They've always mm-hmm. been supporters of it. And it's basically, it's the third Tuesday of October, which is confusing. I know, I'm sorry. But October is National Work and Family Month. And I picked the third Tuesday because I figured by the time it rolled out, you know, National Work and Family Month, then it would be a new way to boost it. This was me being editorial. And that Tuesdays are great because it gives you Monday to uh, get all your content together. So just a little inside baseball if you're thinking of launching some content. So this year it's October 18th. Write it down. Put it on your calendar. Uh, Hashtag National Flex Day. The episode description will have a link. You can learn more about it. It's basically everything I just told you now. This was, I did it in a response to Marissa, like that there are a lot of people who are, were not silently, but just like so thankful. You know, you remember those days of people wouldn't change jobs because they had, you know, negotiated something to have flexible work. And so they- felt a bit stuck, but also super grateful. And so to like go backwards was just disheartening. So I'll meet everyone at National Flex Day when it rolls around again this year. So, you know, maybe we can do a big toast to it, some champagne. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> or maybe we can go to a spa or something. That That's how I like to roll, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else on the Marissa Mayer story that we should hit? Oh, boy. No, but I'm excited. She's making me excited for the Charles Sandberg episode, which will be coming up. Oh, that's very good. Yes. So we'll just keep doing people now, right? (laughs) So, well, can you sign us off? Until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.